Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Yes, let's see. I think I'll turn over to the loudspeaker. River Radio. Hello? This is only a test. This radio station will remain on the air, day and night. Across the Thames Valley. Turn on the radio and let's have some music. Spread the word. Hello, this is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist, and you are listening to The Reset on River Radio. This show is all about food and shaking off those common myths and misconceptions around food. And on today's show, I am delighted to be joined by registered dietitian Caitlin Colucci. Today, we're going to be chatting all about her area of expertise within gut health, which is one of my favorite areas to chat about. And I cannot wait to pick her mind on this area. We'll be chatting all about the gut microbiome and specifically about how our guts can influence other areas of our body and so much more in between. So do stay tuned for that. And I'm sure you would like to maybe find Caitlin across uh, her online social media platform. So do make sure to check her Instagram out at The Mission Dietitian or on her website, www.caitlincalucci.com. If you have any questions for us about today's show, you can message us in on our Instagram at River Radio Live or email me directly at amelia at river.radio. So Caitlin, it's so delightful to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to be catching up with you, seeing how you're doing and also all about gut health. So how are you today? I'm really well, thank you. I'm really well. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show and it's so great to catch up with you again. Absolutely. It's such a delight to have you on Um, and I really cannot wait to talk with you more about gut health. I think we spoke about it a bit in the past and it's the area where you've really specialised in too. So I can't wait to be asking you a few more questions about that. Amazing. Can't wait to share my knowledge. Absolutely. So before we really get into the show and, you know, diving into gut health, do you, could you tell us a bit about yourself, um, about your interests and specifically how you got into dietetics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a consultant gut health dietitian uh, and the founder of the KC Nutrition Online Gut Health Clinic. Um, I'm a UK registered dietitian specialising in gut and digestive health, as well as general health and well-being. And I basically founded the KC Nutrition Online Gut Health Clinic and my Mission Dietitian Instagram page, really as like a gut health hub to feed you all the latest evidence-based information on gut health and nutrition um and then as well as doing all of that i also lead one of the um private healthcare services at london bridge hospital which is in the shard in london um and that's what i'm kind of doing with my time now so i really founded the mission dietitian instagram i think it was back in 2017 as a culmination of basically all of my passions to have meaningful conversations about the science behind diet and nutrition and really spread that message that improving Mm. health isn't about excluding foods which was certainly an era I grew up in uh, but more about including foods to your diet and also I do a lot of work around highlighting the power that mental health can have over our gut so I'm really hoping we can explore that a little bit more. Oh amazing and absolutely we can it's such an interesting area of the research and I guess as you say you know spreading those evidence-based messages because gut health is a trending topic at the moment and there is lots and lots of information out there some of which is trustworthy and some of which might be a bit of misinformation so absolutely let's cover some of um how the gut influences other parts of our body how especially around our mental health but also go through some of those myth busting missions um as I'm sure that you do across your Instagram as well yeah absolutely 
Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for, you know, introducing yourself and for being here today. We're going to come back very soon and we're going to be chatting all about gut health and what we really mean by it. Um, But I think we should now start off by playing a song. So we're going to play Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. I hope you enjoy it and do stay tuned as we'll be back very shortly chatting all about what gut health is. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This... This is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. And it sounds just like a song. I want more berries and that summer feeling. It's so wonderful and warm. Breathe me in, breathe me out. I don't know. You are listening to Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and this is The Reset on River Radio. You can find us across social media platforms at River Radio Live and on the website at river.radio. Today I am joined by Caitlin Colucci, a specialist dietitian in gut health. If you have missed today's show so far or would like to catch up at a later point, don't worry as it will be released as a podcast shortly after a live show and can be found on all your main podcast platforms. So, so far we've chatted a little bit about Caitlin and her journey into dietetics and really what we're going to be chatting on this show, which is gut health. And I guess we've kind of examined and said how there are some myths out there. There's also a lot of information and it's kind of a topic that's being spoken about more and more lately. So Caitlin, starting off with a big question, what do we mean when we use the term gut health? Well, it's one of my favourite topics to talk about, uh, as you probably guessed. Um, But essentially, when you Google gut health, you get more than three quarters of a million hits in terms of what it is and articles and people wanting to know more about gut health. But when we talk about gut health, we're really referring to the function of our entire gastrointestinal tract. So basically, everything from our mouth Mm -hmm all the way through to the exit at the other end. And the real main function of our gut is to absorb nutrients from Mm -hmm. the food that we eat, as well as rid solid waste from our body. But 
but our gut also hosts this community of microbes called the gut microbiota mm. and these community of microbes really help with digestion they can help support a healthy immune system there's a link between stress and anxiety because of the communication that our gut microbes have directly with our brain mm. and so this two-way communication means that actually looking after our gut health is so much more mm. than just what we eat but it's also how we nourish our mind and body and this in recent years has been the real game changer I think to improving our health and I suppose when we look at you know what is good gut health well unfortunately there's no universal definition for what that is but I like to think of it as the good functioning of our GI tract so mm -hmm. I suppose the absence of any symptoms such as things like bloating constipation diarrhea excess wind some tummy pain um, so if you don't have any of those then I suppose you could say you have good gut health mm -hmm. um, and I suppose if you don't have any of the red flags that we always look out for so that would be if you started to notice anything like some blood in your poop some unexplained weight loss maybe changes in your bowel habits especially if you're over the age of 60 and if you do have any strong family history of bowel or ovarian cancer and you notice any changes in your gut symptoms then it's definitely definitely worth going to speak to your mm. gp your doctor and getting checked out Oh, that's really great advice. Thank you. And a good summary of what we mean when we use the term gut health. Um, and I guess people different, it, different people will experience different symptoms, maybe for different reasons and different time periods. Say someone had like a symptom for a day, and then it goes. Is that something that we need to be concerned about? Or is that just that could be related to a whole host of things that we're not so worried about? So don't get me wrong a little bit of, say, bloating, you know, a day of looser poops. We're going to be talking a lot about poo today. I hope everyone's ready for the poo chat. Um, is entirely normal. Mm. So we normally say if there's been a change in your gut function over a period of more than about three to six months, then that would be kind of a cause for concern. Uh, you know, we all maybe eat something dodgy. We all get a bit stressed from time to time. And that can impact our day-to-day -day functioning of the GI tract. Um, but kind of sustained longer term changes is a little bit uh, more uh, something to worry about a little bit more. Oh, that that's really good advice, and I like you know that it's not universal. And then giving that advice of it, looking for that three to six months of a change in diet in um, gut health patterns, and as you say, what's going on when you go to the loo, and like if you've got lots of abdominal like pain and things like that. Um, and say you've got to that three to six months, and you're thinking, some you know, I've got these symptoms, something's not quite right. Where could people go and look for help? So the first port of call, I would always say, is go speak to your GP or your doctor. And that's just because ideally we want you to make sure there's nothing more sinister going on. Mm -hmm. So your GP should ideally check for things like celiac disease first, which is an autoimmune condition. They would want to check for things like inflammation, so inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. They would want to check for anything like bowel cancers, mm. um, any nutritional deficiencies, so maybe doing a full set of bloods. And kind of once all of those stages have been cleared, mm -hmm. that's when we really do start to point the finger at something called irritable bowel syndrome or mm -hmm. IBS and that's when there's nothing wrong with the uh, structure of your gut there's no damage happening to the gut in any way but there's just something wrong with the function of it mm -hmm. and IBS is now considered in fact a disorder of the gut brain interaction mm -hmm. so it kind of goes to show that although certain foods can sort of trigger or flare up these IBS symptoms, which a lot of my patients complain of, uh, there's lots uh, that we can do now to look after our mental health, which again can impact the way that the gut is functioning. Oh, it's so interesting, isn't it, to see all of those different factors. And you did just mention a lot of different names going on there. Um, and I think the key one that, you know, is spoken about quite a lot you said um, irritable bowel syndrome also known as IBS and then two types of irritable bowel disease IBD and I think sometimes these can be used interchangeably um, if someone doesn't understand necessarily what each of them means so could you give us quite um, a quick just understanding of where they differ yeah absolutely so 
To clarify, we have IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. And then we've got IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. So very similar in names, but very different by nature. So IBS, like I said, is when there's no damage happening to the lining of the gut. And that's what we diagnose when everything else has been ruled out. IBD is a potential diagnosis of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. And we tend to see a slightly higher severity of symptoms. So you might get things like blood in your poop. You might get quite Mm -hmm. severe diarrhea, quite chronic stomach pains. And um, that will be diagnosed through sort of blood test poop sample, uh, colonoscopy, so the kind Mm -hmm. of camera up the bottom, or even an an endoscopy, which is the camera down the throat and looking that way. And the management of IBD is very different. So often patients may need to be prescribed medications. Mm -hmm. They may need to work with the dietician to address and change their diet, especially in the stages of severe inflammation. But over time, you know, IBD is a really well-managed condition. And often a lot of my patients actually are able to come off their medications longer term Mm -hmm. and able to manage their condition quite easily uh, through dietary changes. IBS on the other on the other hand is a lot more common. So IBS mm. is thought to affect roughly one in four people in the UK. Oh. Um, yeah, so really huge percentage. And it's funny because once you start opening up the conversation around gut gut issues or tummy mm-hmm. troubles so many people are like oh yeah. you know actually I suffer a little bit or if it's not them personally it might be a family member or their mm-hmm. neighbor or whoever and I but guess I be- that highlights yeah, the importance of chatting about these symptoms like quite often they've you know talking about your gut health your poo going to the toilet it's quite a taboo topic sometimes people don't like to chat about it but actually opening up this conversation normalizing it can really help with like understanding what pe- other people are going through exactly absolutely opening up that poo chat as I say because mm-hmm. it's so so important because it can tell us really so much about our health and it can tell us so much about what's going on inside our body Absolutely. Um, sorry, I interrupted. I, I got excited by what you're chatting about, but you were just explaining what IBS was. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, as I already said, it's a disorder of the gut-brain interaction. Mm. So it means there's no damage happening to our gut in any way, but it's when all of our gut microbes, that gut microbiota, is communicating with our brain and say we're feeling particularly stressed or anxious our brains send signals to our guts tell us that we are and we can become a lot more sensitive to certain foods that we might be eating and symptoms of IBS include things like abdominal bloating uh, wind uh, sometimes excess burping heartburn sometimes you get looser poops sometimes you get a little bit more constipated because when we look at defining IBS there's actually four different subtypes so some people have a diarrhea predominant symptoms some people have constipation predominant symptoms some people have a mix of the two so kind of constipation and diarrhea and then that fourth and final category is actually called unspecified or unclassified Mm. which is kind of when they're experiencing these gut symptoms in particular abdominal pain but it's difficult to kind of categorize them into one of the three other groups that's really interesting it's really good to have that clarification between the two and especially like um, opening up these conversations especially when you um, examine how common people having gut symptoms are and as you said one in four people it's estimated have IBS Um, and I guess you know you might experience different symptoms throughout your lifetime but when is there a more uh, usual time for these symptoms to develop maybe within IBS? So IBS is really common in people between the ages of about, well, 18 up to about 35. Mm. Um, However, saying that IBS can come or go at any stage of the lifespan. And in particular for females, because IBS is more common in females than males um, for several different reasons, one of which is our female sex hormones. Mm -hmm. And of course, at different stages in our life. So obviously we go through uh, our regular menstruation you then might go through pregnancy some women then go through menopause and at each of those stages of their life we have changes in our female sex hormones and those changes in those hormones can actually impact Mm. whether we sometimes develop IBS or sometimes over time IBS can kind of disappear as it were. 
Wow, that's really interesting. And it's so intriguing to see how it can come and go. And uh, that relationship, you know, beyond what we're just eating, because quite often you have a gut health symptom, you think, oh, it's what I've eaten. But you've also got those hormones going on. I can imagine things like stress and exercise. As you said, IBS is uh, uh, goes to do with our gut brain axis. There's so many factors going on there. And I'm really excited to dive into all of those to do with our gut brain axis in a minute. But I, just before we get in and play our next song of the show, I wanted to ask you, we've mentioned the term gut microbiota, gut microbiome kind of explained what it is but do you mind giving us like a quick definition of what we mean when we use these terms absolutely so i mean difference between gut microbiome and gut microbiota so gut microbiome refers to all of the uh microbes and their genes which live within our gut and in particular i mean our large intestine so that's where that Mm. community of microbes live the gut microbiota is the community of bacteria you have fungi you have friendly parasites and yeasts so these are all really common and actually normal to have within our gut Mm. and again they reside in the large intestine and the role and responsibility of this community of microbes is to essentially help with the digestion of food so normally when we eat our food it passes obviously from our mouth we chew it in our mouth we swallow it down our food pipe into our stomach it then starts to mix with our stomach acid and then it turns into this ball of kind of Uh, liquidy uh, food called chyme and that then passes through the small intestine and now in the small intestine that's normally where we absorb all of our nutrients so fats vitamins minerals proteins but there's this really large um um component of food known as our dietary fiber Mm. all of that roughage of our food which actually we don't have any enzymes or anything in the small intestine that can break that down so dietary fiber always passes through to the large intestine where first of all it forms the bulk of our poop which we then pass Mm. out the exit at the other end but in the large intestine that's where this gut microbiota is responsible for trying to break down the dietary fiber through a process known as fermentation. And this fermentation process produces all sorts of beneficial Mm. molecules known as short chain fatty acids, which get sent all around the body. And these are like the communication messengers that get sent back to our brain, to our heart, to our skin, to our kidney. Uh, So they really are super important for communicating with the rest of the body. Oh, that was such a great explanation, really nicely summarised and kind of will bring us perfectly on to the next part of today's show where we're going to be chatting all about the gut-brain access and also um, other places in our body where our gut health can influence. But just before that, we're going to play another song on today's show. So we're going to play Green Green Grass by George Ezra. I hope you enjoy. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. But she moves like lightning, and she counts to three. And she turns out all the lights and says she's coming for me. Now put your hands up, this is a heist. And there's no one in here living gonna make it out alive. Load it up when the sun comes down. Get away, call for two young lovers. Me and the girls straight out. Over the hills and undercover, undercover, undercover She said, green, green grass, blue, blue sky You better throw a party on the day that I die Green, green grass, blue, blue sky You better throw a party on the day that I die We go together, Adam and Eve The girl is so much more than just Green, green grass, blue, blue sky. You better 
You are listening to Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and this is The Reset on River Radio. You can find us across all social media platforms by searching for River Radio Live and on our website at river.radio. Today I am joined by registered dietitian Caitlin Colucci who you can find on Instagram at The Mission Dietitian. So far we have chatted about what gut health is and what we mean by this term and later on in the show do stay tuned for it because we'll be chatting about some of those factors and a bit of advice about what we can do to support our gut health. But coming up now we've already introduced it a little bit we're going to be chatting about how our guts influence the rest of our body and what role they play in our overall health. Now this is quite a big area and it's definitely um, I guess it's catching on more attention in the media lately and you've already hinted at it our guts can influence many different areas of our body as you said via those molecules called short chain fatty acids um, but the big topic and I think it's one that you've personally taken a real big interest in is our gut brain axis do you mind giving us a bit of an insight into what we mean when we say that term yeah absolutely like you said it's a huge area and what's so fascinating now is it's all rooted in in science um so you know i do love talking about this area and i will try and explain it in a a least sciencey way possible but it's basically you know we have now massive scientific studies to back up and prove the connections that are happening within our body and the number one connection which has gained so much popularity over recent years just as you said Amelia is this gut brain axis Mm. so essentially this two-way communication pathway between our guts and our brain and they are connected via a nerve called the vagus nerve which runs from the back of our brain stem all the way down to our gut and I like to think of it almost like a motorway with like cars zooming back and forth and those cars are the signals between the two and our gut interestingly can actually function entirely independently of our brain which is why some people may have heard of it called us our gut called our second brain Mm -hmm. and that works via our enteric nervous system so essentially we don't need the brain to tell the gut what to do it can function on its own but also we have our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous systems involved here Mm -hmm. so our parasympathetic nervous system is known as that rest and digest nervous system and this is the one that's really switched on when we're calm and we're relaxed so for example patients I work with who might have IBS it's interesting because when they're on holiday when they're maybe not Mm. at work on the weekend when they're a lot more relaxed they often report a reduction or a complete eradication of any of their gut symptoms On the flip side, we have our sympathetic nervous system, which is known as that fight or flight nervous Mm -hmm. system. And this is what's switched on when we're particularly stressed. So when we're in this constant state of fight or flight, Mm -hmm. not only is our brain firing signals to our guts, we're also in a heightened state of cortisol release. So that Mm -hmm. that stress hormone, cortisol. And over time, this can really start to increase increase the sensitivity of our gut muscles because we have to remember our gut is a muscle and um and that's what can then start to trigger kind of these gut symptoms so if we can kind of break that cycle of the fight or flight and the cortisol stress response then theory is we can obviously reduce the severity of our gut symptoms Mm -hmm. and I say theory but that now has been proven and we're looking at really really simple practices so this is things like 
yoga. This is things like simple breathing exercises, even things like meditation. And for some people, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT are useful to uh, really help reduce those gut symptoms. So interesting. And I guess it's highlighting as we've been speaking about throughout today's show, it's not just about what we're eating. That plays one part but there are so many other factors that we can consider. And I think it's very interesting to highlight, especially with that sympathetic nervous system, as you say, our fight or flight response. It's, that's quite an evolutionary thing that we have. But in today's society, it's not just triggered by those things that we need to have that quick reaction to. It's that chronic stress that quite a few people um are seem to be living under you know with stress for exams with stress for work it's like those daily stresses are the things that we kind of if we can we need to try and address through all of these different um suggestions that you've given you know we've got yoga breathe breath work all of these different things and even if those don't work for you you know find something that you can do to relax maybe that's gardening walking putting on a podcast going for a coffee with a friend just like trying to bring us into that more resting state. It's really interesting to see how it's, I guess, applied in today's modern life. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly as you said. And, you know, just those daily activities to implement more relaxation into your lifestyle also have an equally good effect at switching on that rest and digest and switching off the fight or flight. And, you know, we people do live very busy lives. So... Is it, is it just a case of can we find 10 minutes a day? Would like 10 minutes of meditation a day, like is the research indicating that that helps us start to calm? Yes, absolutely. So I say with my patients, even if you can schedule in five minutes to begin with, then that can start to have an impact at reconnecting that gut brain connection or communication. So anything that you find that helps and, you know, it doesn't have to be sitting cross legged on a cushion with your knee, your hands on your knees. You know, meditation or mindfulness, I should really say, can be incorporated into everyday life. So that might be whilst you're out walking the dog. Cooking, for example, baking is a very mindful practice. It might be uh, doing the washing, uh, going on a walk, Mm -hmm. you know, reading a book, like you said, listening to a podcast. The key is to really be in the moment, be with the Mm -hmm. mind, reconnect with the breath and therefore switch on that rest and digest I think that's amazing and also with that advice of just five minutes to start with and you know that might be all you can do but I I had um, a habit specialist on a few weeks ago and she really interestingly highlighted it's just that initial effort that we need to say right I'm going to do this I'm just going to do it for five minutes because five minutes doesn't seem like too long but and it helps you get over that initial right I need to do this and you go and do it. And do you know what? Five minutes might turn into 10. You never know. But you've got over that initial barrier that you had. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna sit down and do this for a bit longer. I quite often find equally, like I find running really mindful. I get some really good time to myself and think about what's going on. But I always think before I go, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered right now. <laughs> and then I go and I think I'm going to just do a couple of kilometers and then I can end up running for a lot longer because I've got over that initial thing. So I think, you know, giving people that practical advice of just start small, start where you can and what seems achievable for you is a really good piece of advice. Absolutely. And it's an interesting one with the exercise because there's now good research to show that any form of exercise, whether it be running, even yoga, rowing, uh, is really good at increasing the diversity of the different microbes within our gut. And we now know that a more diverse gut microbiome, meaning the wider range of bacteria that live inside our gut, that is the key to kind of better gut health Mm. long term. So implementing any form of exercise as a form of like meditation and relaxation uh, is also beneficial for the diversity of our gut microbes. That's so interesting that exercise is actually linked to that richness and diversity. And I think you've just like given that definition of what it means to have you know a beneficial gut microbiome I think it's important to highlight there that um you know having that rich and diverse lots of different types and lots of um microorganisms is actually beneficial because quite often we talk about bacteria in a negative way whereas on today's show we're chatting about it in a more positive way when we have that beneficial composition 
Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you think of it as a, uh, if you have a really diverse array of uh, bacteria within your gut, say you get, uh, you know, a bad bacteria in your gut, like a common cold virus or something like Mm. that, then you, and if maybe one of the microbes aren't up for the job, then you've got a whole host of other bacteria which can step in to fight their corner. Whereas if you don't have a very big diversity of gut microbes and, mm-hmm. you know, one of the groups isn't up for the job, then you've got less of a chance of the one other type of bacteria stepping up to fight in its place. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really interesting and really good way of thinking about it. Um, I've also seen, I've read about it before, I think actually it was your Instagram page that highlighted the study to me and I went and had like a little read and you'd spoken about a study on yoga versus FODMAPs with maybe IBS-like symptoms. Yes. So that's one of my favorite studies to talk about. (laughs) So the study basically took a group of people with IBS and they randomized them to two different groups. So Mm. one of the groups received what we call a low FODMAP diet, Mm -hmm. which is a diet designed specifically to help reduce symptoms in people with IBS. I should say that this is often, this isn't used as the initial starting point to treat IBS. It's used kind of a bit further down the line and with guidance from a registered dietitian. Um, But they received uh, guidance on this low FODMAP diet. And that involves uh, three different stages, which is a restriction phase, a reintroduction phase, and then a personalization phase of the diet. The Mm -hmm. other half of the group with IBS were given two weekly yoga sessions for 12 weeks. And at the end of the 12 weeks, both groups had to uh, reassess their kind of IBS symptom severity. And what they found was overall, there was an 80% improvement in everyone's IBS symptom severity. And there was no significant difference between the two groups, meaning that yoga twice a week for 12 weeks had the same effect on gut symptoms as following this low FODMAP diet. So it really just goes to show the power of targeting that brain end of that gut brain connection, as well as the gut end of the gut brain connection. Um, And on a more personal level, obviously, I follow you on Instagram, I see kind of a little bit about what you're getting up to. And I know that you personally take a bit of interest in doing some yoga and things like this. Um, And I think that you took it up more recently, like over the past few years. And I guess personally, did you notice a difference? Absolutely. Yes. So if anyone follows me on yo- um, on Instagram, you can always find me on my yoga mat or going to some sort of crazy yoga class in London. We're kind of spoilt for choice with regards to where and when we can practice yoga. Um, so uh, yes, absolutely. Because over the past couple of years, particularly during the pandemic is when I really found yoga and practiced mm. it more regularly. And I really noticed the impact that had on my mental health, wow. but also because of when, what, what yoga encompasses, you know, it's a form of movement and that movement is particularly good at stretching and twisting and it really it massages those internal organs. So it's great for that gas relief. If you feel a bit bloated, you feel as though you've got some trapped gas, you can easily then pass wind by doing these really simple yoga poses. And I often recommend to my mm-hmm. patients, you know, if you go on YouTube and literally Google yoga poses to help with bloating or to help with digestion, there's really simple techniques. 10 or 15 minute videos that recommend asanas. So like certain yoga poses, which can help to relieve that gas, that trapped gas within the digestive system. So um, absolutely, it's been fantastic to help with like regularity of bowel movements, because any form of movement can help to stimulate Mm. those gut muscles. So interesting and I I really love all those topics but I'm aware we've only got an hour on today's show and you know it's such a big area that our guts do influence loads of different areas of our health. Um, Do you have any other examples you know beyond just that gut brain axis where our gut health can influence? Absolutely. So I think another really important one is our like gut immune axis because yeah. 70% of our immune cells are found in the gut alongside mm-hmm. our gut microbiota and they really closely communicate with each other. So basically our gut microbes can teach our immune system what's worth reacting to and what's safe. And therefore, one of the best ways we can actually support our immunity is by supporting our gut microbiota. 
And so the alternative is then you'd have a disturbed gut, gut microbiota and a poorer immune system, which can then overreact to certain foods, which is some, then when we start seeing things like allergies and autoimmune conditions. And it therefore underreacts to the real culprits, which allows for things like cold and flu viruses to come in. So the key to look after immune system really is to nurture that gut microbiome. It's amazing how our gut really does influence so many different parts of our health and this research is kind of new it's a new idea and it's all emerging and it's getting stronger and it's so interesting and as you say nurturing a beneficial composition of that gut microbiota which we're going to be coming on to just after our next song so we're going to now play London Boy by Taylor Swift Across the Thames Valley One more time Across the Thames Valley This This is River Radio Well now for some pop music Try this. I love my hometown as much as more town. I love SoCal. And you know I love Springsteen, faded blue jeans, Tennessee whiskey. But something happened, I heard him laughing. I saw the dimples first and then I heard the accent. They say home is where the heart is. But that's not where mine lives. You know I love my You are listening to Amelia Fish, a registered associate nutritionist, and this is The Reset on River Radio. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Caitlin Colucci, a registered dietitian and gut health specialist. If you have missed today's show so far, where we've been talking all about what gut health is, our gut microbiome, and how our guts communicate with our bodies and influence our overall health and so much more do not worry as this episode will be released shortly after the live show as a podcast and it can be found on all your main podcast platforms including apple and spotify if you have any questions for us today you can message us in on our instagram at river radio live or email me directly at amelia at river radio so we're coming on to the last section of today's show and i'm really excited for this because it's where we're going to really put all of those facts that we've so far given you into a bit of real life advice and how overall we can nurture that gut microbiome composition and support our overall gut health. So Caitlin, over to you. What, what, what advice are you giving <laughs> regarding our um, gut health and how we really can support it? 
Such a huge question, but (laughs) luckily some really simple things that we can all do to look after our gut health and support our gut microbes. The number one thing is to really up our diversity of plants. Mm -hmm. And I do not mean going solely plant-based. I do not mean going onto a vegan diet Mm. at all. I mean consciously trying to consume a wider variety of plant-based foods. So that includes things like our fruits, our vegetables, our whole grain carbohydrates, our beans, our pulses, our lentils, our chickpeas, nuts Mm -hmm. and seeds, and also our herbs and spices as well. Mm. And we definitely want to be focusing on brightly coloured fruits and vegetables because they give us our polyphenols, Mm. which are, again, great molecules which make our gut microbes really really happy and ideally over the course of a week we want to be diversifying our diet to incorporate at least 30 different of these Mm -hmm. plant-based foods now that might sound like an awful lot but i guarantee for anyone out there listening if you were to add up the Mm. different number of plant points you've had over the past seven days you'd be quite surprised at how much you've achieved already it might be 15 it might be 20 And that's really not a bad start. You know, it might only be five and that's okay too, Mm -hmm. but you're listening to this episode and now you can start to add a few more plant points to your diet each week. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, where did this 30 plant points come from? I'm sure everyone's heard of the campaign, you know, five a day in terms of fruits and vegetables, but that's kind of now been realized that it's not sufficient enough to just eat five different fruits and vegetables and that can support our Mm -hmm. gut health. So there was this huge study done in America, the gut micro biome research study which essentially found that people who ate 30 or more different plant-based foods per week had a far more Mm. diverse gut microbiome compared to those who ate less than 10 and so um that's where these 30 kind of plant points per week Mm -hmm. came from it's so interesting it's really like you know that's that was a huge study and I think it was like what 2018 2019 and now we're seeing it being applied and spoken about more and more um and I think especially when you're saying the different plant-based foods I know the 30 can sound overwhelming but I think that's when we think of it straight away as just your fruits and vegetables and as you've really kindly highlighted for us there are so many different plant-based foods like with our legumes and our grains and as you also said those herbs and spices you use the term plant points there as well and what do you mean when we say that and what is a plant point yeah so a plant point is any different plant-based food you eat that week so for example say you had a salad carrots and tomato on a monday that each of those would be a plant point. And, you know, ideally a portion of fruits or vegetables is 80 grams. Mm -hmm. However, even if you had a small handful of mixed nuts, each of those different types of nuts would be a different plant point. However, you know, if you eat carrots on a Monday and then carrots on a Wednesday, that doesn't count as two different Mm. plant points. You need to have a variety for it to count. So like some really simple tips could be, you know, if you're making a homemade chili and you normally put kidney beans into that, rather than putting kidney beans, buy a tin of five mixed beans instead. Mm. And that's giving you an extra four plant points. You know, going back to something like a chili con or a spaghetti bolognese reduce some of the uh, minced beef or minced meat that you're using and add in a tin of canned lentils Mm -hmm. to add then a plant point to that mix similarly if you're having something like pasta going for the whole grain variety Mm -hmm. um, or if you normally have rice you can now buy these bags of like mixed rice so you might get wild rice and brown rice and that would be therefore two plant points rather than just one Oh, that's so interesting. I really like that. And I guess it also offers people like a visual aspect to it. Speaking of plant foods, um, and another thing that's spoken about when increasing our diversity is also spoken about um, having like a high fiber diet. Um, I think it's like to caveat there, especially if you're currently not having lots of foods high in fiber as that can initially cause some gut symptoms. So, you know, how do we go about increasing the fiber in our diet whilst trying to support our gut health, but also avoiding those initial symptoms that you might see? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point you've made, Amelia. So if we suddenly increase our fibre intake very quickly, then it's likely to cause a lot of tummy upsets. You might get a lot of cramping, pain, bloating. So ideally, you want to think about gradually introducing or increasing your intake of higher fibre foods. Mm. So for example, that might be at the moment, if you have white bread, just swapping to brown bread. Then after you've nailed that for a week or so, then if you have white pasta, swapping to whole grain pasta as well and then you can start to think about making sure you are achieving your five different fruits and vegetables every day then maybe you could think about swapping an afternoon snack of a something that's lower in fiber like chocolate bar for maybe a handful of mixed nuts and dried fruit for example Mm -hmm. so rather than making all of these changes all on the same day you kind of do it gradually over a couple of weeks Oh yeah and I think that's really great advice to also make sure they're sustainable changes ones that you're really enjoying doing you know making big changes and lots of them all at once can feel really overwhelming that's not just with our dietary patterns with our lifestyle in general so be kind to yourself just do what you can that feels sustainable at that point in time and make sure that it's going to be something that you you can foresee yourself doing into the future exactly um and then there's a couple of other hot topics when we chat about gut health you know it's fermented foods probiotics prebiotics these are quite big you know uh, hit words that you'll see across like headlines and social media is there research behind them how can they influence our gut health Absolutely. So fermented foods, we're talking about things like sauerkraut, kimchi, um, kombucha, um, kefir in particular. So these are your naturally fermented foods and they contain beneficial microbes, which can help to improve the diversity of good microbes within our gut. And, you know, if my advice to my patients is, you know, if you've never tried them, give them a go because some of them are quite the acquired taste (laughs) and they're not for everyone. But if you do enjoy them, then absolutely try to include them in your diet more regularly, especially things like fermented dairy rather than high fat uh, dairy foods. Mm -hmm. Um, However, what I often see is people going a bit gun ho when it comes to these fermented foods and they start to consume a lot of them and often they start to suffer from things like quite a lot of abdominal bloating or discomfort so again it's similar with the fiber thing if you're thinking about introducing some of these foods to your diet then introducing them gradually And so that kind of leads me on to then talking about the probiotics because these fermented foods contain natural probiotics Mm. um, but there are now thousands of different probiotic supplements you can also buy on the market now A normal healthy individual does not need to take a probiotic to improve their gut health. It's far better to eat a diet wide in plant diversity. Mm -hmm. However, if there is a particular symptom that someone is trying to manage, such as bloating, diarrhea, constipation, wind, then there may be a specific probiotic to help with that particular symptom. The key here is to try and make sure that you take the right strain of bacteria which in the research has been shown to help with that particular symptom Mm. it's the same thing as medications you know you wouldn't take a paracetamol if you were trying to lower your blood cholesterol it just wouldn't work Mm -hmm. so often so many of my patients come to me and say that they've tried probiotics in the past and they've had absolutely no effect and I say well that's because you were taking completely the wrong type of probiotic so they can be particularly helpful and then I think this is where people get carried away thinking that they then also need to take a prebiotic supplement Mm. and prebiotics are essentially food for that gut bacteria and prebiotics are essentially our higher fiber foods Mm -hmm. so in very very rarely do we ever recommend taking a prebiotic supplement Mm. and again sometimes that can worsen gut symptoms like bloating and abdominal pain so rather than taking a prebiotic it's much more important to focus on that plant diversity Wow, that was a great summary. And thank you so much, Caitlin. And I know that you're we're running out of time having you on the show today. And it's been honestly such a delight having you join me. I'm going to finish off the show in a moment and we, by having some myth busting facts just to kind of summarize up for today. But it's been honestly such a delight having you join us sharing some of your expertise about what gut health is, what the gut microbiome is, how it influences our overall health and some really great pieces of advice right on the end there so thank you for joining me on today's show Caitlin 
Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute delight. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So I'm going to just play a quick song and then we're going to finish off the show and summarise by leaving you with some myth-busting tips. So here is Getting Started by Sam Fender and we'll be back to finish the show. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. This is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and you are currently listening to The Reset on River Radio. Today's show has been all about our gut health and chatting about our gut microbiome, how it influences our overall health and so much more. I was joined by registered dietitian Caitlin Colucci who's shared her area of expertise and wonderful amount of knowledge within this area. Um, So do make sure to listen back if you have missed any of today's show um, or would like to listen again as it will be released as a podcast shortly after a live show and can be found on all main podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify and Google. Now we're at the end of the show we've just got a couple of minutes left and I thought it'd be really nice just to give you some takeaway messages you know because we've really said how it's such a big area it's increasing in popularity and chatting about it so I thought let's give you some myth-busting facts that we can take away from this show. So one of the first and biggest ones that is get chatted about is how we have trillions of microorganisms in our gut. These are mainly found in our large intestines and form what we call our gut microbiome. And our gut microbiome can influence our overall health. The second fact um, is that increasing diversity in our diets 
can support our gut health and really uh, specifically is that actually we we should not be restricting in order to support our gut health you know we don't need to cut out any foods for example things like carbohydrates or fats anything like that we do not need to cut them out um, in order to improve our gut health in fact it's completely the opposite and that increasing diversity can support it the fourth fact that I had to finish off today's show is that, uh, or the third, sorry, is that many things beyond our diets can influence our gut health. And finally, that our gut and brain communicate with each other and so can influence each other. I hope there's some takeaway points that you can take there, um, some interesting myth-busting facts, and I really hope that you've enjoyed today's show. I thank Caitlin for joining me and sharing her expertise. You can find her on Instagram at The Mission Dietitian or on her website at www.caitlincolucci.com. You have been listening to Amelia Fish, registered associate nutritionist on The Reset on River Radio. Don't forget, you can catch up um, on the podcast or main podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Do stay tuned and listen again next week. Dive in to River Radio.